Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, Chris Jr. here. And we have a big one coming to you from Bogota, Colombia. Our first international fireside chat as part of the relaunch. And, um, you know, it was very important to both myself and to Startup Grind that we are showcasing some of these stories from around the world. We have incredible stories coming out of every corner of the globe. And we are in 600 plus cities around the world. So, um, yeah, that's definitely worth bragging about for at least a a few seconds. 600 plus cities. And in Bogota, Colombia, we have Alan Colomenares from tropicalgringo.com, which is uh, both a uh, unique and interesting choice of domain name, um, tropicalgringo.com. Don't know, don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. Interviewing Freddie Vega, CEO and co-founder of e-learning startup Platzi. And Platzi is massive. 500,000 plus subscribers on YouTube, another half a million on Facebook. They're everywhere. And that's why I love bringing these stories, because I never heard of them. Um, perhaps you have. Congrats. And uh, Freddie goes back to his story as, as a young child, a young entrepreneur, selling bootleg Pokemon cards, which is one of the, the more unique backstories I've heard. I love it. Um, <laughs> I love when they get a little bit shifty. And uh, we have, and then on to his, onto his journey at Y Combinator, and then on, of course, to his growth the fast fast track with Platzi, uh, Latin America and around the world. Enjoy the interview. Okay, everybody, let's give a warm welcome to Freddy Vega. We get to do Freddy, welcome and thanks for, for coming. Thank you very much for inviting me, yeah. Okay, so I know there's a lot to talk about. I know you just, you just graduated from Y Combinator. There, there's a lot of stuff happening. You have that, that, a great education startup. But I want to start out at, at the beginning. So, uh, so um, where, where were you born? What was your upbringing like? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, uh, my name is Freddy Vega. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Platzi. We do online education effective. And I'll tell you later why. Uh, I'm 29 years old, which means that I was born in 1986, uh, which also means that I was born before the internet was massively available. Uh, I remember that I didn't connect to the internet until 1999 was more or less the first time that I connected to the internet. I remember that I didn't have a computer when I grew up. Uh, and it was actually really weird and really hard to get a computer in the neighborhood that I was born. Uh, my grandmother comes from the countryside, and my mother as well uh, had a story until she was 10 years old picking grapes uh, three hours from here, from Bogota. Eventually, they migrated here to Bogota, and most of my uncles and aunts uh, went to uh, work at different things so that they could pay my mother's college education. She was the first to graduate from my family, but we were still not exactly a rich family. Uh, I was living in the deepest, deepest south of the city, uh, but in my perspective, I was a, I was a child. I didn't I didn't care. It was fine. Everything was perfect. Um, I remember having a first contact with technology through video games. Uh, I we couldn't afford video games, but a lot of our friends had them, uh, and I remember being incredibly overwhelmed by how interesting it was to have a kind of art that, it was in, that was interactive. That was something new to me. And I really wanted to create something like that. So against my mother's wishes for me to be a medic, I went ahead and studied how do you do video game development when I was like 10 or something like that, 10, 11. And that's how I st- that's how it started my interest in technology. Incidentally, that's also how I started to learn English. Uh, I was in a military school where there was no regard whatsoever for teaching English or anything at all besides military <laughs> things. But well, um, no, none of my friends uh, talked English. But if I wanted to enjoy the video games that I was enjoying when I was 10 and 11, I needed to 
studying English. Back in those days, in the neighborhood where I was growing, Suba, in the very, very deep north of the city, um, there was this uh, kind of stores where you could rent a TV and a video game console for an hour, or for 15 minutes, or for 30 minutes. I remember helping uh, a lot of my friends from the neighborhood to do their homework so that they could pay me, help them, in exchange for money, so that I could go and play video games in these kind of places. How old were you? I was 11, 12, 12. And with that money, I went. I, I was going to these video game stores where they rented time, like an internet cafe, but with video games. And I and I was going there with a English to Spanish and in Spanish to English dictionary, so that I could understand the kind of stories that I was playing. Um, that's how. I started having a lot of interest for technology, for programming. I didn't know it was programming back then, um, for English, which was incredibly useful. I didn't know this in the back, uh, back in the day, but it was incredibly useful to know English. I started to learn English. Uh, surprisingly, it works. Uh, if you do play video games and you need to understand what the hell is going on, it works to have a dictionary by your side, even if you're 11 or 12, and you learn English. Uh, when I was 13, yeah, when I was 13, I had a friend in my school, uh, the rich friend, that uh, his father bought him a Casio graphic calculator. Uh, and he had no idea how to use it. And I had a fame in my school that I was good with technology, even though I didn't have a computer back home. So he lent me the calculator for me to learn how to use it so that I could teach him how to use it. And I discovered that the calculator had something called BASIC. Uh, it was a, a very, very incredibly simple version of BASIC, but it was enough to do a small code. And I code my first program there in a calculator. I remember that my first program was uh, a game that we here in Colombia called Tricky, Tic-Tac-Toe. Uh -huh. uh, Tic-tac-toe. That was my first, uh, the first game that I developed. And it didn't have any kind of artificial intelligence at all. You just pick the place where you wanted to have either an X or an O, and that's it. Then I discovered how to, how to do it so that the computer knew when it was an X turn on an o, or an O turn. And then I discovered how to implement patterns. And then it had artificial intelligence. Very basic, like how to respond to places so that the game could play against a human. Uh, also, uh, back in those days, I was learning physics for the first time, and they teached us, teached us how to, what's the difference between gravity, between Mars, Jupiter, Mercury, the Earth, etc. And a lot, of, a lot of the children in my class got to know that your weight is different in different planets. So I created a program to calculate that. Input your weight, and you'll see your weight in different planets. And I started charging for, the, for using the, the, that program. I started charging uh, 50 pesos, which is, I have no idea what that is, like nothing. Like, I, <laughs> probably nothing. But it was still pretty good, and that's, that's, that's the first kind of programming-related business that I did. In parallel, uh, I was hooked, terribly hooked, to Pokemon. Pokemon was the craze back then. <laughs> and when I got home, because I didn't have a computer, I went to, a, to an internet cafe. This was back in the time when I connected to the internet for the first time, 1999. And I downloaded a list of all the Pokemons, the Pokedex, but printed in paper. And what I did was that I was drawing from, the, from, from all the copies that I printed the Pokemons in small cards, in small cartoon, uh, carton cards, cardboard cards. And I draw the Pokemons and I transcribed with handwriting the literal description of each Pokemon. And on the back side, I was writing the attacks and a number. And I created a Pokemon League in my neighborhood. I was the guy drawing the cards, selling the cards, 200 pesos. It was the price of the cards. So you uh, went up. You were going up and up. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, was, I was increasing the price <laughs> of the businesses. Uh, I was selling those cards for 200 pesos. And then I had um, bottles on the, on the stairs in front of my house with all the kids from the neighborhood. Uh, it got really, really popular. And remember, this was a very poor neighborhood. They didn't have Nintendo Game Boys or anything like that. So this was the equivalent for, uh, of a Game Boy to them. Um, I discovered that I could be also the Pokemon Center. If you don't know about Pokemon, that's the place where a Pokemon goes when it loses and it almost dies. So that the way that a Pokemon 
gains health is that it goes to the Pokemon Center. And my logic was that if a kid in my neighborhood was fighting with my cards that I sold to them and, and lost, then I took the card and I, I was giving them back the card if they paid me 50 pesos, because that's like the price of the Pokemon Center. In the official series, the Pokemon Center is free, socialism, but I was, I was, I was asking for money. Um, eventually, I improved the quality of the cards. Eventually, I discovered that if you put uh, a standard white paper around the cardboard, it was more beautiful, and then if you got one of these uh, contact plastic things that you could uh, envelope the thing, it was gonna be way more beautiful, and I started applying color because it was black and white before, so I started coloring the cards, and eventually I hired two of my friends to help me draw and they were better drawing than me, so eventually they were the ones drawing, and the business was booming. How old were you? I was 13. <laughs> I was just 13. I remember that the month that I did most money, I did 500,000 pesos from selling cards that are 200 pesos, and the business expanded all around the neighborhood. Okay, 500,000, and when, when was that? Like in 500,000 pesos in, in 1999, that will be almost like, $400 back in the day, maybe. Maybe even more, like a, yeah. like probably like a thousand, maybe. It was, yeah. it was I, I felt like a millionaire, and it was impressive, and eventually it started feeling kind of like a gang, because people wanted to be a friend with me, wanted to be friends with me just because I had the Pokemon card business. Some guys in nearby neighborhoods started copying the exact same business model and started doing uh, cards. <laughs> and some guys had way more budget than me. So they were using actual computers to print the cards uh, and it was way better. So I created a Pokemon championship. I, I got a huge cardboard thing and I draw a huge map and I talked to people saying that they had to sign up for the Pokemon Championship and they had to go to the map like a standard car, uh, board game, uh, table board game. And, uh, and I was the guy controlling when the battles happen and I was in a military school. In the military school they give you these things like pins that you have to put according to the, to the rank that you have and they are actually very cheap because we're kids and we have to buy them. So they kind of subsidize them. I bought like 300 of them and I told them that it was, uh, they, they, uh, they, those things were metals. So that's how they increase and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of friends, a lot of people that I didn't know uh, started coming to my house uh, to play. And then the mothers got mad and pissed about it and they forbid everyone to play with me and they created a mother's league impeding them to come to play to my house <laughs> and they went to my mother to tell her that I that I was doing an evil thing because remember back in the day Pokemon was the devil um, so I lost all my friends overnight they they never came they never came back again and that was the end of my first business Wow, do you, there's so many questions I want to ask. But first, um, one of the reasons I like that, that we're interviewing you is because I think this is a very different kind of story than, than the other entrepreneurs. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. So when you were in that, that, that environment that isn't like you know, upper middle class or whatever, what it, was there any limitation that you felt, oh, I can't do this, or, or do you just not have those limitations in your mind? You just felt you could do, do anything that occurred to you? Well, in my mind, I, I just didn't know that there were limitations. I just didn't know that there were things that I couldn't do. And the things that I couldn't do, I just assumed that there was nothing I could do. It can't be helped. So I just let it go and went forward. Um, I don't remember having any kind of limitations. I remember being really pissed, really pissed, when the mothers uh, forbid everyone of, of playing with me because I lost a business, a very good business. I was thinking of saving that to go to college, uh, which eventually I did, um, and I lost that source of income. And also, it was a totally different environment from what I was doing in, in school. In school, I was in a military school, and when I was in first grade, uh, the teachers told my mother that I had to go to second grade because in first grade I was gonna waste time. And this sounds really good, but it's actually really bad because you are the smallest child in the class, so it's easy to get picked on, etc. 
uh, I didn't like the school environment, and I loved the uh, alternative life that I had back at home with the Pokemon business and everything and blah, blah, blah. But it left me with a sensation that the way to go to do something that matters is to create something kind of like a business. I didn't have exact names back in the day. I didn't realize that I was creating a kind of a company, which was also very illegal. I was infringing copyright from Nintendo and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't think they care about that. <laughs> um, also, I remember the experience of having employees, uh, friends as employees, uh, because my relationship with them drastically changed and I didn't notice until I was like, hey, I used to do this with these guys and now they won't talk to me because they think that I'm the guy controlling something. Like the concept of boss, the concept of company didn't occur to me. But beyond that, I never figured or thought about limitations. I just thought of what I want to do and what I can do and how can I combine those things to make something happen. So, but your mom was probably not thrilled about the direction you were going, or was she? Did she no, like no, actually, she was very happy. Oh, she, she was? was yeah, okay. yeah. She thought it was hilarious. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was taking money from these kids from drawings that I was doing instead of doing anything else that was terrible. My neighborhood was not the best neighborhood, so mm -hmm. there were other kids getting drunk at 12. Mm -hmm. uh, or stuff like that. So I was not getting into trouble. I was getting a lot of friends, and I was gaining money. There was nothing to this life. <laughs> and okay, so so the moms uh, boycotted you. So so after the moms boycotted you, what happened in the the next years before going to college? Like, well, I cried. <laughs> uh, after that, I continued starting programming with the, with the graphic calculator. Eventually, the, the owner of the graphic calculator got mad with me because I was basically the owner of the calculator. Um, and he wanted it back, not sure why. And he took it away from me. So I started and trying to understand how to do development uh, with actual computers. I became a friend with a guy that had one of these uh, informal schools of technology that teaches, teach things like Office, Windows, basic stuff like that. And I became friends with the owner of the place that knew my mother as well. And he allowed me to use the computers for free. So I was always going, I, I was studying from 12 to 6 p.m. in standard school. And then at 6 p.m. I was walking to that place, which was like 10 blocks away from my school, to use a computer until 8, 9 p.m. Sometimes my mom picked me up, sometimes I just took a bus. Normally I was taking the bus. I was taking the bus most of the time. Um, and that's how I started doing actual development. That's where I learned HTML, JavaScript, Visual Basic, which was big back in the day. And I, I learned how to do professional programming at 14, one year before I graduated from school. And you learned by yourself? Yep. And what, like, did you like look stuff up on the internet? Yeah, I was using this incredible tool called AltaVista. Uh -huh. It's an incredible, very powerful tool. Um, I started learning with, especially with, with Macromedia tutorials. Macromedia has these amazing tutorials on their website, and I had more or less kind of a hang into English, so I could understand uh, most of the concepts. I started doing HTML and JavaScript and Flash, a lot of Flash. With Flash, I discovered that Flash was the way that most video games were being done back in, in those days. Mm -hmm. Not exactly right, but Flash was the fastest tool to do video game development in 2001, 2002. In 2002, I continued working, by the way, with mm -hmm. this uh, alternative technical school, and I was like a mentor. Like I was helping people 50 years old, 60 years old, uh, understanding how to use Office, Windows, Excel, PowerPoint, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So that's how I pay them. I, they were, in quotes, using me as a, as a mentor, as a, as a teacher assistant. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the times that I was not doing that, I was learning how to do more stuff. Um, eventually, I discovered Flash, and Flash changed for me everything, because Flash was an incredibly powerful tool that had immediate results, and a tool with which people were doing animation, design, video, and interactivity. It looked like video games. So I applied myself to it, and in 2002, Flash developed a language called ActionScript. That it was a, the first version of ActionScript looked a lot like Visual Basic, the second version looked a lot like JavaScript, and I already had a little bit of experience in both. So I started doing experiments with it, but none of those experiments were uh, profitable, mm -hmm. because not a lot of people knew about it here. So I, my mother had a contact with a guy that owned an internet cafe. 
and the guy told me I need something to manage my internet cafe. I need some, 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 something to manage my cyber cafe in the, in the time. I need something to manage that, like to manage which people come in, which people come out, how much money am I making, etc. So I made a glorified Excel app, and I, I remember that I, my name is Freddie Vega, so I created Vegasoft, which didn't <laughs> exist. Uh, obvious, genius trademark logic. Uh, I created Vegasoft, and I created the software, I called it Vega Shell. And it was a visual basic application that managed internet cafes. I sold it to that guy for 100,000 pesos, like $50 technically, a little bit less than that. No, actually a little bit more than that. Right, like yeah. $70 back in the day. Uh, and I thought, and I maybe this is a software that I can sell a little bit more. So I faked that I had a huge company. I created fake cards and I said that I was just an, uh, an assistant doing a survey, uh, but it was just me. And I went to 50 internet cafes in Bogota, asking them, what do you need? What do you want? Talking to uh, my potential users. And they told me, well, I want a software that does this and this and this and this. And at the end, I said, hey, I have a software that is exactly like that and is this and you should buy it, et cetera. And that was great. I, I didn't sell to 50 internet cafes, like 10, mm -hmm. but it was another source of income and that was great. However, I didn't know anything about customer support. So the first time that one of my customers had, a issue, had an issue, I ran. And I never answer back because I had no idea that you had to do those things. I was like, you install the software and you never talk to that guy again. And they were trying to contact Vegasoft and they discovered that it didn't exist and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I was very scared and I also was a little bit bored with Visual Basic. So Vegasoft stopped existing. And around, those, around that time, I was 15, uh, 15, 16, almost 16. I, was, I, I wanted to enter college and I applied and I was going to, to start going to college on the second semester when I was of 2002, maybe, if I'm not mistaken. And on the first semester, I decided to do nothing for a while, just to focus on learning more about programming technology, et cetera, as a hobby. And then I got an opportunity to do, through a lot of referrals and friends of people that have heard about what I was doing, I got an opportunity to do a multimedia CD for the Inter-American Bank of Development, uh, which is a bank dedicated to help develop the Americas. They had an issue, they told me, that they were dealing with a lot of uh, NGOs and nonprofits. And the nonprofits, they didn't care about uh, accounting. They were not managing their money well. So they wanted to create a fun way to, do, to teach accounting, which is obviously impossible. So <laughs> I, I, I thought, uh, let me try, and I created a game called Super Puk. Puk, it's in Spanish, Plan Unico de Cuentas. Um, like the, it's the books, it's the way that the books are managed in accounting. Uh, and it's a, the government explanation on how you have to manage accounting inside your company. So I created a game in which there is this huge book with glasses, but it has a, a mask and a cape because it's a superhero. But he was uh, kidnapped by four evil people in a building. So you have to enter the, access the building and you can go floor by floor until you get to the roof to rescue Superpook, the accounting book. Uh, if you answer the riddles of each one of the evil guys on each floor. And the riddles are a way to teach people about accounting. So it was an e-learning uh, application based on a video game. Uh, I know that the, they, uh, the, the agency that hired me to do that, because I was like a, a guy hired by, hired by an agency, the agency that hired me to do that, I'm sure, earned a lot of money. I earned uh, 600,000 pesos, uh, the equivalent today to $200. Maybe the equivalent back in the day to... A thousand. Yeah, $1,000. But it was amazing! So I didn't care. So there's a lot of people walking around that learned accounting by, by I have watching no, I, I don't. I hope not. I hope not. Superbike. <laughs> I, 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 remember, I remember that I was very excited writing the, the game engine and everything, and then I had to put the content. 
So maybe this was a stealth way for making me learn accounting because I had to learn everything. Like, okay, what's this? All right, I'm going to create a question regarding this. What's this? God damn it. All right. Um, and then the same guys, the same agency, got a, another business offer from the Bank Boston. The Bank Boston uh, was teaching the banks here in Colombia how to detect uh, money laundering. And they told me, this is a book that we write, that we wrote on how to detect money laundering. Convert this book into the same thing that you did for the other bank. Uh, that was a little bit harder, ironically enough, because money laundering is way more interesting. But they didn't want a video game. They were very specific and adamant. We don't want a video game, we want a serious thing. These are banks. So I just created a, a card game, kind of. Like one of these flashcards game, flashcard games in which you show a lot of times the same concept until you interrogate the concept, and then a quiz system, etc. another learning system. And I didn't know that by in the day. I was just doing something for someone in Flash. I also, incidentally, learned how to do money laundering. And I have a lot of experience on that. And, and how it's detected. I didn't know these guys were so inventive and so creative, impressive, the ways that people launder money. Uh, I earned more or less the same, and I started getting a lot of more job offers. Um, what did you learn from that experience, where the other guys made a ton of money and, and you made a little bit? I truly didn't care. Okay. I, I care just now learning. in retrospective, like, yeah. damn it, those guys. But, but you learned a lot. But, but I didn't care. I was really happy that I was doing something and they were paying me for it and I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought that this was great and I started having, a co having contact with the Macromedia community. The Macromedia community in Bogota started with a, with a group smaller than this uh, in a place exactly like this. And it was just enthusiasts of Flash, of Dreamweaver, uh, of Freehunt. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy from, I think he was from Barranquilla, which was the guy that was the leader of that group. And I admired that guy a lot. I was like, I want to be that guy. That's amazing. And I was coming to this kind of event where they were showing things that they were learning. They were showing, I learned how to do this kind of animation. I learned how to do this kind of development. And I wanted to implement that in my personal projects and the projects that I was doing for money. Uh, and I approached the guy saying, this is awesome. I want to teach something next. And I had nothing to teach these because they were amazing. I was a noob. But I tried anyway. I bought, I bought a book in Panamericana over here from McGraw Hill. I think I still have that book that teach a lot of weird tricks. And I tried to find the weirdest trick that I could teach them. It worked. They were like, wow, this guy knows that. They didn't know that that was all I knew. Um, but, but it got me into the community. Uh, and I started talking to more and more people and discovered that I really, really enjoyed teaching. And I enjoyed a lot sharing what I knew, a lot. So I worked my way into the system, and I ended up being the second in command of the Macromedia community. At the same time, I was in college uh, doing really bad, like really, really, really bad. Like, what were you studying? I was systems? studying systems engineering, okay. which is the equivalent to software engineer, but mm -hmm. worse. Uh, <laughs> that's that system engineer. I was doing really bad. Uh, I got my first girlfriend, more or less at 16. I, in college, she was way uh, older than me, which when you are 16 is way worse. Like I was 16 and she was 20, but to me it was awesome. Uh, we lasted for three years. At the end of that relationship, before, well, when, when we it was getting like bad, when I was 18, uh, the Macromedia community started fragmentating in Colombia, especially because Macromedia was having issues as a company. Eventually they were bought by Adobe. Uh, in the probably worst acquisition in the history of Earth. Um, the, co the community was started fragmenting, the guy from Barranquilla started doing other things, and I really wanted the community to stay alive. So I decided to create a website where I could continue doing these things, even if it was going to be in a less impactful way, because I thought that it was never gonna be as big as that Macromedia community. Um, I went to the countryside with my family on a trip, like very near here from Bogota, uh, with, a, with a notebook. Back in the day, you could buy any.com that you wanted. Uh, in 2003, I bought the domain crystallab.com because I got a lot of names in a lot of places and I started crossing and saying, I like this name, I don't like this name, etc. And crystallab sounded like a good name. So I bought the domain and I created a basic homepage. I didn't know any backend code, uh, any backend code, any, a backend programming language. So I went to a website 
called Maestros del Web and Photos del Web. This website was the biggest community of web designers and developers in Spanish. It was huge. They started in 1997, before I connected to the internet. And it was the first community in Spanish. Not the first community about web development. The first web forum in Spanish. It was Foros del Web and MaestrosDelWeb.com. And over there, I learned PHP. And with what I learned, I created a website that today you'll call it a blog. But in 2003, they didn't have a word for that. Some people did, but I didn't have access to them. So I created something that looked like a blog. Uh, with a section of tutorials, a section of articles, and a forum. That was it, a very basic forum. And I remember that my first tutorial was not about Flash, which was my main passion. It was about Fireworks, which is a, a tool that I love to do web design that Macromedia and eventually Adobe abandoned. And then I did an, a tutorial with, about Dreamweaver, which was the tool that I was using to create the PHP code, code. And then I wrote my first Flash tutorial. I thought that this site was going to be okay, like a thousand visits per month, but we got on our first month a thousand visits per day. And I started getting emails asking me to publish their tutorials. Like, hey, I want to learn to share something uh, too, and this is the tutorial. And I did this process by hand. I got the tutorial, I reviewed it, and I thought this tutorial sucks. So I rewrote a lot of things, I changed the title, I add some images, I published. Um, and I was starting to create a community. Uh, bit by bit, I started getting a lot of tutorials. And in our first year, we got to the point where we had a million unique visitors per month and I didn't have any money and I was in college and a million visitors per month in 2004 was like $5,000 in hosting. So I was very scared and I thought that I was gonna have to close because success. But in 2000, uh, at the end of 2004, Google decided to open their experimental AdSense program to international uh, people. So I applied through my mother again because I was still underage uh, no, 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 I was no longer underage, but I didn't have all the papers. Uh, so I applied through my mother to get an AdSense account. I got it, I implemented ads in the most subtle way possible, and it got me $1,000 the first month, and then 2000 and then it stopped more or less there. Uh, but I remember that the point where I got most money was in 2008, 2009. I was getting like $6,000, $7,000 per month. And I was like, I'm rich. This is awesome. The internet is amazing. The highest peak of Crystal Lab was in 2010, where we had 2.5 million unique visitors per month. To this day, we still have 2 million, visit 2 million unique visitors per month. We have something like 80,000 tutorials, like 20,000 articles. And people are still sending tutorials to the website. And it works automatic. It works in automatic mode. I don't do anything for the website, sadly, because now I'm focusing Platzi. But it was an incredible experience. I remember hiring the first people that I was actually paying them. And it felt like cheating. It felt like, it felt like I was doing, that I discovered something that shouldn't be legal because of how easy it was. And, and, it, and it felt amazing. In the best moments of Crystal Lab, I was expelled from college because I stopped going to certain classes. I stopped going to Physics 3, which is electromagnetic physics, and I stopped going to Advanced Calculus, which is differential equations, which are really hard at the same time. Now I'm proud to say that I can do uh, differential equations with no problem, that I learned online how to do them as a challenge to myself. And I also learned something called uh, Fourier, Fourier. sequences. Uh -huh. Fourier. Uh -huh. Fourier sequences, which is the, probably the hardest thing that a human can do mathematically wise. I cannot do all of them, but I can do some of them because I was expelled because of that. Uh, because I was expelled, we broke up with uh, my, my first girlfriend back in the day. What do you mean? When you got expelled, she didn't want to? No, no, no. I, I, I was expelled, and then I dedicated myself full time to Crystal okay. Lab, and I didn't have any time for her, and she got mad, and she got pissed, and we fought <laughs> a lot, and we broke up. Um, I took a semester to do nothing again. Well, to do Crystal Lab, obviously. And then I applied to the National University of Columbia, just to spite my teachers from the other college. Uh, because I always thought that that was the best university in Colombia, which it is, by the way. And, um, and also because 
I, I, I got a bad taste in the mouth of leaving college. My family, my mother, with all their wonderful things, she really wanted me to graduate. And she was really worried that I was not going to do it because she thought that the internet might explode someday. Which, by the way, she was right. We have cycles, we have bubbles. It's not really that wrong. And by the way, Crystal Love exploded in terms of business model. Um, I went and applied to the National University of Columbia. I got in. I was the best student on first semester. I was the best student on second semester. And on third semester, I realized that I couldn't pay attention to college and do Crystal Lab at the same time. So I just retired, uh, which was a revolution in my family. Like, what the hell is this guy thinking? Sadly, at the same time that I retired, no, like one year after I retired from, from the university, um, AdSense crashed. AdSense crashed at the same time that all the financial world crashed. In 2008, 2009, when, when the real estate bubble bursted in the US, uh, the first thing that companies stop investing in is advertising. So they stopped investing in AdSense, and AdSense readjusted their prices, readjusted the deal, readjusted uh, cost per 1,000 impressions and stuff like that. And all my friends, no doubt, started losing money and started losing their status. With the same level of traffic that I had in 2009, I was doing $6,000 back then, and I'm doing $200 today. With the same level of traffic, it's ridiculous to go from 6,000 to 200. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because if I were going to continue there, I was, I was becoming lazy. I was like, oh yeah, I can't wake up at 1 p.m. And then do nothing and browse the web. And YouTube didn't exist, so I don't remember what I was using back then. But eventually I'm going to code something, and it's good, and the, and the community is growing, and the bits are fine, and I'm gaining more money than I can spend living in Suba, or the very deep north of, Colomb of Bogota. So, meh. Uh, I started traveling a lot. In 2005, one year after I started Kristallab, I was invited, and this is also another weird thing. When you have a website with a lot of visitors, you get fame, and I didn't know that. So a lot of people were like, who's this guy? Who's Freddy? Who's the owner of Crystal App? And because I was very young, and I was father, like fat, but bigger, more fat, <laughs> um, more fat, and my cheeks were way more pink than they are right now, I looked like I was 15 or 14 or something like that and I couldn't grow a beard. So I didn't want people to know who I was, and I wanted to create a myth around me. So I didn't have any pictures on the internet. This was before Facebook. Facebook got popular like around 2007 here in Colombia, 2008. Uh, 2008, I think, is when Facebook exploded here. So I, I created this myth that I didn't exist, that, that Kristallab was maintained by a robot. But eventually, a newspaper from Guatemala tracked me down and sent me an actual paper letter asking me to go to a conference in 2005. And I said, holy shit, this is awesome. So I went to the conference. Uh, this was the first time that someone paid for my travel expenses. And I thought it was amazing. Uh, during my time in Crystal Lab, I was invited, I don't know, 50, 60 events. I'm traveling a lot. But this was the first one. And I thought I was a rock star, and I was a stupid douchebag. Holy <laughs> shit. I was really, really, really bad. I was like, oh, yes, I'm from Crystal Lava. <laughs> um, and I met a guy that was very humble, uh, that was way more famous than me, and that had way more traffic and way more power, Christian Vanderhens. Christian Vanderhens was the founder of Maestros del Web and Photos del Web, the site who in 1997 was started and the site through which I learned PHP. And I hated it. I hated him. Like, who the hell this guy thinks he is? Like, stealing my thunder. So um, I, I, I decided that he was my enemy number one. And I told him, like, hey, you're my enemy. And he was like, OK. <laughs> he was considerably bigger. In the highest peak of Maestros del Web and Photos del Web, they were gaining 10 million unique visitors per month. I have no idea how much money they were making, but this guy had an apartment in Barcelona and another in Argentina. Now he has none. Uh, because AdSense crashed. I don't know, I don't know if there are, that, those apartments were his. Probably just rented. But he had them at the same time. Like, I'm going to wake up in, in Buenos Aires, and I'm going to sleep in Barcelona. Uh, and I envied that a lot. 
Again, I was an idiot. I continue meeting him through a lot of events because a lot of people were trying to invite us and some people in the ecosystem realized that we were kind of hilariously fighting each other. I, I asked him to interview him uh, for Kristalaf and the interview I made it hilarious on purpose so that we increase the meat of our fight, of our public fight. So people were inviting us at the same time just to see us fight in these hilarious ways. And he never, he never fought actually, he was just answering what I was doing. But this made us more and more popular, weirdly. Uh, when AdSense crashed, we both got poor and we knew it. We eventually started becoming friends because you spend a lot of time with the same guy and they, you guys have similar stories, so we became friends. And I was in his apartment in Buenos Aires and he told me that AdSense crashed and he had to fire people, that he didn't know what to do and he was going to do another startup. And this is the first time that I heard the word startup. Like, what the hell is a startup? And he said, well, you have one, Crystal Lab. No, I have a, a, I have a Crystal Lab, not a startup. No, a startup is this company that grows really fast and it's based on blah, 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 scalability, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and what are you gonna do? I'm going to do an application, the iPhone just came out like two years ago before this happened. I'm going to do an iPhone application that you take a picture of food and it will tell you the calories on that food. This guy was not a developer, not a programmer, so he thought it was easy. Uh, he thought that doing very advanced image pattern recognition was just a matter of hiring the right developer. I explained to him very patiently that he was an idiot and that the app will never take off. <laughs> he didn't believe me and he spent from his uh, savings like $10,000 Burned. Nothing happened. So I began thinking, how much money does he does this guy have in savings? To this day, I have no idea. <laughs> um, so I started talking to him about experiments, and I was also doing experiments. I had a friend from Canada, half Colombian, half Canadian, a woman that was a writer of love articles for newspapers, but she loved dark humor. So she started doing articles. Uh, unexpected articles about love advice. Like, I don't know what to do, my husband is about to leave me. Oh, what you have to do is boil a giant pool of water and then convince him that that's not boiling, throw him there and then run away and never come back and stuff like that. But way funnier, I'm not that funny. I love the way that she that she, uh, that she write. So I created a website called Aunt Hime, Tia Hime. She, she, her name is Jimena. Um, we created this dark humor website supported by AdSense. But then two things happened. AdSense crashed and my AdSense account was banned because anything related to sex, even remotely related, is banned from AdSense. And this was remotely related. So I lost the money that I invested there. I then started a website to, do, uh, to upload pictures and it grew really fast. And then I started getting very weird pictures that I didn't want in my website. And I didn't know how to deal with that, so I was dealing with it manually. Uh, then I had to hire someone to deal with it, and the website was not making any money, and it was growing a lot. And eventually I realized there is no way to make money with images, with just image uploading. So I'm going to stop, because otherwise this is going to consume my life. And with Christian, we had a theory on how to teach, because we've been teachers all our lives. At the same time that I was in the National University of Colombia, a college, another college in Colombia asked me to do a, a class on e-commerce for a master's degree that they had. There is a loophole in the way that law works on college education in Colombia. If you want to teach uh, on a standard college degree, you need to have a master's degree to teach but you don't need to have any kind of degree at all to teach on a master's degree. You only need experience on the field. This is a stupid loophole, but it exists. And I took advantage of it and I teach, I created a class on how to do e-commerce, very basic e-commerce back in the day. And I teach there uh, in the university. And I also keep teaching at this technical school that helped me with their computers when I was a, when I was a child. Until they, um, they, uh, they went bankrupt and I haven't had any contact with him since. I have no way to contact the guy, but I'm incredibly grateful to him. So, Christian also was teaching, and Christian was doing experiments with online video, because he was teaching for the Ministry of Education in Guatemala. Christian convinced the Minister of Education to give him a lot of money 
to go with a small bus with a lot of computers to a lot of places in Guatemala. Guatemala has a weird dynamic. Guatemala uh, only have 50% of their population talking Spanish. The other 50% talk like 10 different languages, which are dialects of Mayan cultures. Uh, so people don't really speak Spanish or English. They speak really different things and they have really different access to education. So Christian wanted them to have access to the internet. So he went with these bosses that were basically mobile internet cafes to teach them how to use the internet to very underserved communities, like literally, literal underserved communities. Uh, and he also started creating training videos for these kids that picked up concepts really fast on how to do more advanced stuff on the internet. And he was the guy recording the videos, editing the videos, editing the audio, doing the graphics, he was doing everything. And that's when the story of this company starts. In 2010, it's more or less around the time where the first campus party happened in Colombia. We met again, Christian and I, on that campus party, and I, we decided to do a funny video in which we were impersonating the jury from uh, American Idol. And instead of doing American Idol, we were doing websites. So we asked people through the very first tweets that were being sent in the Colombian and Spanish-speaking community to send us their websites so we could criticize them and tell them how to improve them. But again, I was still a douchebag. So I was really an, an evil guy, like the douchebag guy from American Idol. Meanwhile, Christian was the humble guy that was doing the best advice. So the ratings, that helped the ratings. Yeah, actually, that helped the ratings a lot. <laughs> Who knew? People hated me, obviously, but it, it helped the ratings a lot. Uh, we started creating these videos and uploading them to Vimeo. And we didn't know anything about it, but they were gaining things like 500, 600 views. And we thought, this is awesome. And then uh, a startup called Ustream started. And we decided to test with Ustream. And we did our first live streaming. I had a lot of trust in live streaming because when I was doing Crystal Lab, I gained access to a tool that was closed and exclusive to the biggest and best clients of Adobe called Adobe Connect. Before of that, it was called Macromedia Breeze. This was the first tool that I remember to do live, streaming, uh, live streamings. And it was incredibly powerful. You could share your screen, you could share your webcam, you could transmit audio. It was amazing. It was impressive the way that Macromedia Breeze worked. I remember doing the first Macromedia Breeze conference in Spanish with Crystal Lab, and we melted Macromedia servers. Like the guy from the servers called me here in Colombia, like, what the hell were you doing? And they then uh, kicked me out of the Macromedia community. But there's a, there's a pattern there. Yeah, there's a pattern. So uh, <laughs> wait, I'm gonna have to stop you. So, you are the easiest guy to interview. Like, it's okay. like <laughs> there's a, but, but now we, you know, it's, we're coming to the end, so I, I yeah. want to like get to the part where you and Christian got together, you did Mejorandola, yes, and, yes, then, yes. and then jumped to, to Plassi, so. Of course. Mm -hmm. Because we did this test with Ustream, we understood, um, with Macromedia Breeze, we understood that real time was really powerful. There is something different about what Shina Video recorded and having a live experience. It can be, physically live experience, or it can be a real-time internet live experience. So we wanted to do an experiment, and we started doing something as a joke. One of the jokes that I was told about Christian it was how bad he was with trademarks. Because Maestros del Web, Aforos del Web, in Spanish, uh, it's, uh, it's funny how you say Maestros del Web. Nobody says that. Webmasters. Or Foros del Web, yeah. It's, it's like a literal uh, translation of Webmasters but in a bad way. Uh, and he registered these domains in 1996. He literally could register anything, color.com, love.com, but he didn't do it. He went for maestros del web and pros del web. <laughs> I always scold him about it. So as a joke, I, I said that our program was going, to call, was going to be called Mejorando la Web, improving the web, uh, as a joke. The joke was on me because it ended up being an actual company and I had to do the renaming and the trademark work, uh, stupidly enough. Crystal Lab was always a good trademark and I loved it. Um, so we started Mejorando La Web doing criti uh, criticism of websites through Ustream. And we did our first live streaming and it got 600 viewers. And we said, what the hell? We normally do conferences and we get like 500, 300 people. But we have never had 600 people at the same time arbitrarily just because we started a webcam. We need to do this more. And we started doing this more, and we started doing it weekly. 
every Thursday at 4 p.m., like today, we started doing a program in which we were criticizing, criticizing websites and then also talking about technology. The thing about criticizing websites is that eventually all websites are the same and you said the same thing over and over again, so it gets old really fast. Uh, but talking about technology doesn't. And we love to, we also had a kind of a journalist thing going on in Maestros del Web and in Crystal App. We didn't only have tutorials and forums, we also had articles and, and news. We were talking about what was happening. So we love to do that and we started doing it on camera. We got 1,000 people, 2,000 people. Today, the, the program is called Platzi Live, each Thursday at 4 p.m., and 5,000 people see it religiously. Or every, live, but then a ton, live, a yeah. ton see it. And then something like 50 to 20,000 people see it recorded in YouTube. Um, so because of time, we have to like jump. So yep. you were doing that for a long time. You built up a humongous audience. And then mm, tell us a little bit about when you decided to create th this new company, Platzi. Cool. I can give you the short version. Uh, we didn't have any money, AdSense crashed, but we wanted to start a company doing education. We had mockups on what will be the ideal platform to make people commit to their education, how to change the way that vocational careers work. So we needed money to hire developers. Uh, I had $2,000 and he had, supposedly, $2,000. So we both... Uh, got our $4,000 together, and we went to Argentina to do an actual physical course with the University of Buenos Aires. Uh, that course tanked. We didn't sell anything. We, we wanted to have like 50 people, and we sold 20. And we got really depressed, but we didn't give up. So we again put a little bit more money that we had, and we went to Mexico to do an HTML5 course. And we were expecting 50 people. It was a more risky, higher bet and we got 150 people, and it was a huge success. We ended up going, during 2012, to 20 cities in 12 countries, doing, several times, doing a lot of courses. Did it get bigger and bigger every time? It got, no, we had a, a cap of okay. 150 people. Not because we couldn't teach more people at the same mm -hmm. time, but because there were no place to do a class bigger than 150. Mm -hmm. And we always got sold out doing courses. And with 100% of the money that we earned during that time, we reinvested it in uh, one backend developer, one front developer, one designer, Christian and I. And with that team of five people, we launched the prototype of Platzi. In the time, it was called Mejorando.la. That was the rebranding that I did to save the stupid thing that I did with Mejorando.la web. Mejorando.la, Mejorando.la was the name. And it was a good name. It, it worked, and a lot of people got to know us, and we launched our first course. Our first course was a course on web design and web development. It teaches the basics of HTML5, CSS3, uh, Python development, and Node.js development. It was a three-week course with classes every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, live stream classes uh, in two different schedules. One schedule for Europe and one schedule for America. Was this the one you did in, in uh, the Chamber of Commerce? No. I visited one. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. That, yeah. No, I did. That, that was another one that I did okay. before. Uh, we also did other kind of courses we did here as well. So the product that you created was a software platform so yeah. that those live courses would be more interactive. It was a combination of things. We developed during these courses that we did all around Latin America. I got to know all cities in Latin America and Spain, uh, all capital cities, not all literal cities. Uh, during those times, we developed a methodology on how to teach a lot of people because this is really hard. It's really hard to maintain 150 people engaged and, and be assured that they were going to get very high quality education and at the same time do it in two days. We did a lot of failed experiments in our, with our first courses, but then we started getting better and better and better. And we developed a methodology of project-driven project education and the way that we structured the classes that we applied. And then we started doing behavioral research on uh, behavioral science, not on how people commit, but on why people abandon. So we started discovering a lot of reasons on why people abandon education, and what are the reasons why they just stop learning. And we started optimizing to eliminate those reasons. And then, life is really powerful. When you do live streaming, people feel a fear of missing out. When you do live streaming, you create a unique experience that cannot be replaced. 
and cannot be replicable. Obviously, we upload the videos. Obviously, and right now, 35% of our audience see the classes live and the rest see the classes recorded, 65%. So more, most of our students are seeing the recorded version. But what we do is that we get not only the video, but all the interaction that happened during the live class, and we compile their interaction with ranking created by the students themselves in the recorded version. So you don't only have the video that the, that the teacher created, you also have the files as they were being created, you have the notes that the student took, you have comments from our students, and you have a unique experience that is really hard to replace. And you have huge, massive courses. To give you a little bit of information regarding Platzi, when we started, we wanted to have 100 users. And that was our goal. We got 1,000 users. We managed to make a million dollars the first year uh, everything bootstrap with the $2,000 that Christian put and the $2,000 that I put there. Um, right now we have 150,000 users. Uh, we have content both in English and in Spanish. Uh, we are bigger than we were in our first year. We started in, in at January of 2013. This year, uh, er, earlier this year, uh, in January, we went to Y Combinator um, and it was amazing. We grew twice as fast than we were growing before. YC really works in a way that I cannot really explain, but it's impressive. Um, we went through rounds of funding eventually, not because we needed it. We've always been profitable from day one, not because of something amazing, but because we were afraid of dying. And we think that companies only die when they run out of money. Even if Christian and I die, the company will continue. The company will only die when the company runs out of money. That's the only time when a company dies. And that was the only reason why we raised money. It was a very, it was a surprisingly successful fundraising round, uh, which makes me really, really worried because probably that won't happen <laughs> again. Uh, and also now I have a fiscal and financial responsibility to make this thing work. Uh, we started with five people, right now we have 40 people. Uh, those 40 people are from all around the world. We have people from Venezuela, Peru, <coughs> Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, uh, Mexico, Guatemala, the US, Spain, Brazil, Germany. And we love that we have a pluricultural team. Uh, most of them are students from Platzi. 80% of our employees are graduates from Platzi. So we hire from our own students because we really believe in the education that we're giving. And they are incredible people. And each one of them is becoming a rock star of their own in each one of their fields. Uh, we launch in English during this year. And in English, we're growing faster than we're growing in Spanish, surprisingly. Okay. Well, um, and that's the state right now. I think that, that characteristic that you have, that you don't see limits, kind of helped. <laughs> it <laughs> kind you. of worked. It's kind of, a, a, you've kind of achieved some stuff. So we're going to end now. And I, I just want to hear from you, like, uh, what would you tell, like, young entrepreneurs, especially in Colombia or Latin America, listening to all this, because uh, I think the, the trajectory is pretty amazing. What, what would you tell them right now? Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I think that... It's the one reason why I see people not try things is because they think they cannot. And I think that I was very grateful and lucky in that I didn't know that I can't because nobody told me. So I just went ahead. And sometimes I failed. A lot of times I failed. But it didn't matter because eh, this is fun. I think that the, the, the most powerful thing that a person can do to, success in this, to succeed in these kind of things is to do personal projects that they're passionate about. And this is something that a lot of people miss, and this is something that we try to give our students. If you create personal projects that you love, even if they're not profitable, even if, they are, if, even if nobody uses them, you're learning something that people that only do this for a living will never learn. And that's the only way to succeed, in my mind. There is no one, literally no one, that I know that I consider successful that don't have uh, personal projects. All of them have some kind of personal project, some kind of thing. In Y Combinator, to give you an example, I, I was dealing, the YC partners are incredible multimillionaires. People like, not all of them, but most of them are like, yeah, they have a lot of money. And they are the most humble people in the world. And at the same time, they code sometimes when they're bored. Uh, Hacker News were, was born out of that. The social network that we use, the secret social network, that we use inside of Y Combinator, it's an amazing piece of software that they develop. They don't have to work for anything. They, they make money just by being alive because of, of, of all the money that they have. They really don't have to work anymore. 
but they still do. They, they are still dealing with a bug in their code that sometimes give a 500 HTTP error. They're still dealing with something that works really weird in Internet Explorer. They're still doing things that they're really passionate about. They have personal projects that eventually become incredible things. I never in my life imagined that Platzi, before Mejorando.delay, we did the rebranding, was going to become the company that it is today. And I know that we have a long way ahead to be a successful, huge company. We have done some things, but there's still a lot of things that we have to do to actually achieve our objective of making education online first. Uh, but all of these things started because we had personal projects and passion for a single thing. So having a personal project and pursuing it is the most important thing. And right now, it's easier than ever. So there's mm -hmm. no excuse at all. Thanks, Freddy. Thanks Thank you very much. Okay. us at startupgrind.com or join us at an event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.